established on course. Now these next verses, we know them and we've heard them, but hear them now in the context of finding the right path for your life. Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, we've used that verse in, in a good way. I mean, it, it's, it's a verse that tells you how to get healed, how to be strong. But remember, he's talking to him about the path. How do you get on this path? Attend to my words. And I like to put the emphasis there. Attend to my words. What does that tell you? There are other words that you could be attending to. And we know that. Oh, baby, do we know that? Everybody's got an opinion. And a lot of people have an opinion about the path you should be on. And this is part of the reason that there's a way that seems right. Well, it seems right. Why? Well, because they said it's good, and they said it's good, and they said it's good, and, and daddy went down this path, and daddy's daddy went down this path, and daddy's daddy's daddy daddy went down this path, and went to this school, and studied this thing, and so, you know, I guess that's what I'm going to do. It seems good. When he said it seems good, he's not talking about that seeming that comes from the, the witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That's not what this seeming is about. The path that seems good, you can't spell that without S-E-E, -E, based on what you see. And that's the reason most people end up on some other path. But this father speaking to his son and our father speaking to us says, hey, 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 pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my words sayings. Why? Because they're life. All those other voices and all those other words you're hearing, they are not life. They do not lead to life. Mine are life. So turn your ear to mine. Keep them in front of your eyes. Let them get down into your heart. Don't let them get out. It's all about the path. And then he says, keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it springs the issues of life. Verse 24, put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. And that's when he says, ponder the path of your feet. Do you see what he's getting at here? This whole thing is about being on the path, finding the path, staying on the path, not taking the wrong path. Two, two choices, church. Two roads. That's it. That's it. Satan works overtime trying to confuse people, telling them they've got all these different choices they can make, all these different roads they can take, and you can just be any old thing you want to be. Not if you're a Christian. There is a road to life, and there is a road to death. And you're not going to have to find the right one and stay on it. So in meditating some of this, one of the things that came to me is, all right, with that in mind, what do I do if I've been on the wrong one? Because we all have. Oh, come on, don't sit there and look at me in that tone of voice. We all have. We've all, at one time or another, chosen a wrong path. 
So how, if we've been on the wrong one, what's it take to get off the wrong one and on to the right one? Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Thank you, Lord. Is this helping you? Thank you, Lord. Another word you could use for the path that somebody's on in life is the plan. We talk in those terms quite a bit, the plan. And these words get thrown around, God's got a plan. Well, that's true. And that's good. Do you know it? His plan is his path and finding that out and sticking with it and staying on it and not letting anything take you off it. That is what this life of faith is about. In Ephesians chapter 2, start in verse 1. I love this. Ephesians 2, 1. You he made alive. Thank you, Lord. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Sometimes we make the mistake of relegating the sermon on resurrection to one day of the year. We talk about Jesus and his resurrection. But resurrection's all through the word. The Christian life is a life of resurrection. Christianity is the only context I can think of where people can talk about death in the past tense. In any other context, once something is dead or has died, it is dead and will continue to be so. But you're looking at somebody this morning who used to be. I'm looking at people today who used to be dead. How can you used to be dead? How is that even possible? Well, I was, but he made me alive. And that's what Jesus in his resurrection did. He completely and totally ruined death forever. Because until him, death was the man. Death was so final, there was nothing beyond it. And that's why people mourned in response to it because it was the end. But now, because Jesus ruined all of that, we can trade all that mourning, all that sorrow for the garment of praise. We can take all that spirit of heaviness off. We can rejoice now because death ain't the man. There's a new man. It's the man Christ Jesus who completely ruined death, not just for the one who died, but for the ones who are left. And you, who used to be, used to be what? Dead. He made you alive. He made me alive. We were dead. How can you be were dead? It's Jesus, man. Don't ask me to explain it. It's Jesus. Well, maybe I should explain it. I'm a preacher. That's my job. But you were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen to this. Verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. That's the path you were on. And what was that path? Death. It was death. 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Why is the road that leads to death so broad? Because everybody's on it. And you used to be on it. I used to be on it. We were on that path, that path of death that leads to death, and we were dead people walking on the path. That's the path we were on, and he said, you were by nature children of wrath. And listen to these words, just as the others, ain't nothing, maybe I should say it like this, weren't nothing different about you, living just like the rest of this world, out of that old dead nature and we're just like everybody else. And that's the path we were on, walking according to the course of this world. There is a course, other translations talk about a way that goes with this world. And no need wondering about what it is or where it leads, we already know, don't we? It's the path of death. It ends in destruction. And that's the one, that's the road you were on, I, were, I was on, all of us were, until Jesus, bless God. Verse four, but God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, now we're getting to it. If you were on the wrong path, what did it take to get you off that one and onto the right one? Mercy, mercy, mercy. God who is rich, don't you like that word, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding, here it is again, riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You were on the path of death. You were walking the course of the rest of this world. How in the world did you get off that course, the death road, and onto the life road? Mercy! It was mercy. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, listen to these words, who for Christ's sake forgave you. Now that's the end of chapter four. He goes right into chapter five and says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Be an imitator. So whatever you want found in you, you're gonna have to first find it in him. Amen? Amen. And what you're gonna find in him is mercy and kindness, tenderheartedness. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, talking about the great love, not just love that God has and not just love that God shows, the love that God is. It gives you several things throughout that chapter, things that love doesn't do, things that, that, that love is not. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, there are two words, two words, that's it, that tell you what love is. The love that is God 
can be summed up in two words. Love is patient and love is kind. So see, we've got to have some mind renewal about what kindness is. When I say kindness, you probably think niceness. And listen, that's a good place to start. Please, I'm, I'm begging, I'm asking you, start right there. But kindness, the God kind of kindness, it goes a lot deeper than just some surface level niceness or niceties. When you look at the Old Testament, there's a word that's used hundreds of times. And it's the Hebrew word hesed. And it gets translated a number of different ways. It gets translated most often mercy. It also gets translated kindness. It gets translated loving kindness. It also gets translated tender mercies. The hesed of God. It's, like I said, the part of God that makes him God. It's so ingrained in who he is. The hesed mercy of God. How do you get off the wrong road and on the right one? Mercy. It's the mercy of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's a short chapter. It starts in verse 1, talking about King David. And David says, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him, say it out loud, church, kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, what are these words about? Earlier in his life as a young man, David made a covenant with his friend Jonathan. Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. And Saul, after David killed Goliath, Welcome David into his house. And the Bible says that David and Jonathan's souls were knit together. This was a God-ordained friendship. But Saul went crazy. Saul became driven by evil spirits and began to hate David, even threatened to kill him. And without getting into the whole thing, there was a moment in the book of 1 Samuel where David and Jonathan are out in a field and they make covenant with each other. This is like friendship to the next level. Covenant. And what that covenant was, was a covenant of kindness. Literally, Jonathan said that to David. He said, me and you are going to make covenant today. Because I know what's about to happen. I know that God has anointed you to be king. I know that you're going to be king over all this place and all these people. And you and I are going to make a covenant today. And that covenant... The terms of that covenant are that you, David, are going to show kindness, not just to me. And every time he said kindness, it was that hesed, that hesed, tender mercy, loving kindness of God. He said, you're going to show it to me. You are going to show it to my kids. You are going to show it to generations that come after me. We are entering into covenant, this covenant of kindness together today. And he said, and the Lord judge between me and you. In other words, there ain't nothing between us, David, but God himself. This was serious stuff. And they made a covenant with each other that day. Well, fast forward. Saul and Jonathan, his son, you you may know this, they both died the same day in battle. And Jonathan at that point had a young son who was five years old 
when his grandfather and his dad died the same day in a battle they lost to their enemies and they're now being invaded. And the caretaker of this little boy picks him up and begins to run. I mean, these people are running for their lives. You know what happened? She dropped him. She dropped him and broke his legs. He's a little five-year-old boy. And because of the injuries he sustained as a little boy, he was lame for the rest of his life. And they ran. They got out of town running for their lives. Now fast forward all these years later, David is king. He's sitting on his throne. He's conquered. He's victorious. And what's he saying? He said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, that hesed, for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Man, can you tell it? He's got one thing on his mind. Give me somebody to show this hesed, this loving kindness and tender mercy to. And he's, he's, he's almost to the point where he's agitated by it. Give me somebody. Is there not still somebody that I can show this mercy to? Now, what do you know about David? This is a guy who got a lot of mercy. This is a guy who was well acquainted with the mercy of the Lord. He wrote a lot about the mercy of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And the king said to him, oh, really? Lame, huh? Is there somebody that's not quite as lame? I'm looking for somebody not as lame to show kindness to. It's not what he said. What'd he say? Where is he? Don't you like it? Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. It's a city called Lodabar, literally the translation of that name is no word, no communication, no bread. This is how far away he was. You've heard the phrase, word travels fast, not to Lodabar. <laughs> it's so far out and hidden that word doesn't get out there. And so David said, is there one that's not as lame and is a little closer to the house? No. What do you say? King David, verse 5, sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you hesed. I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you will eat bread at my table continually. Woo. This is kindness. The first thing he said to him was, don't be afraid. What would this kid be afraid of? David maybe killing the last living a descendant of Saul, so nobody else has the right to the throne. He's afraid. He's, he's 
fear for his life. And David said, no, don't be afraid. Why? I'm about to show you some kindness. This is deeper than niceness. What did this kindness do? He said, I'm going to restore to you all the land of your grandfather. See, what kind of condition was this young guy living in? He's out, cast out, living low to bar, living way below the bar, <laughs> out and low to bar. No word, no bread, no communication, lame. Now, you could say he's been on the wrong road. You could say this guy ended up on the path to death. And almost like it was no fault of his own. His grandfather and father died the same day. The lady taking care of him, running for her life. An accident occurred. She dropped him. Now he's lame. And all these things that have happened to him that have put him on the wrong road and taken him to the wrong destination, kindness and mercy has reached out all the way to where he was, picked him up out of that place, brought him to the palace and said, now I'm going to restore to you all the land that used to belong to your grandfather. And you are going to sit at my table and eat bread continually. And, and he bowed himself, verse 8, and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Now look at this, verse 9. The king called to Zeba. Why is that important? Because Mephibosheth said, why are, you, why are you doing this for me? Why are you looking at me like this? Why would you look on me, somebody who's such a dead dog? And David didn't even respond to it. Why? Because he ain't looking at him. This has nothing to do with him. Give me somebody to show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. It's got nothing to do with you, boy. This has nothing to do with your condition. This has nothing to do with how lame you are. This has nothing to do with you at all. This has everything to do with the covenant of kindness that's between me and Jonathan. Now, what did Ephesians say? Forgiving one another, just like God who for Christ's sake forgave you. Did he forgive you? Did he show, him, show you mercy? You know he did. Did it take you off the wrong road and put you on the right one? Yes, it did. And it had nothing to do with you. Oh, that's the best news. It had nothing to do with you. He did that for Jesus' sake. He did that because he loved Jesus. And when you cried out for mercy, bless God, you, you began to identify as one with Jesus. And when the Father looks at you, he's not looking at you. He sees Jesus. Which is why you are wasting your breath coming into a worship service telling God, I'm so unworthy. Oh, why look upon me such a dead dog as I? It sounds real humble, right? It's just stupid. It's just ignorant. Why would you do this for me, Lord? Because it ain't about you. It's about who you are in Jesus. In Jesus. And man, this goes on. Listen to what kindness did for him. The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, 35 people, 36 counting Ziba. Mephibosheth went from living in Lodabar one day 
when kindness and tender mercies reached out, grabbed him, brought him into the palace, and in a day he went from broke, having nothing, to having 36 servants who were working the land for him, who were bringing in the harvest for him. And not only did he get all that, he got a seat at the king's table. What did that? Talk about being on the road to life. Huh? Talk about being on the road that leads to life and there's life on the road. This is the right path. What did that? Kindness. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith. <laughs>